A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast. Sam Ferris here, and on today's episode, we chat to former Australia batsman, Western Australia and Perth Scorchers coach Adam Voges about the Marsh Sheffield Shield, the KFC Big Bash and what young gun Cameron Green is really like. But before we get to Adam, here is just a quick reminder to subscribe to the Scoop Cricket Podcast, which is dedicated to the women's game. The Rebel WBBL finals are just around the corner. So for everything you need to know, check out the Scoop wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, here is Adam Voges. Adam Voges, welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast. How are you going, mate? G'day, Sam. Yeah, going well, thanks, mate. Uh, back in Perth after our Shield Hub. And uh, unfortunately, we're, we're in quarantine for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, talk us about what's going on. It sort of all happened pretty quickly. It did, yeah. We we stayed in Adelaide for a couple of extra days uh, after the announcement that the WA border was was opening. Uh, so, flew home on on Saturday and uh, thought we'd we'd timed it beautifully. Uh, but unfortunately, the outbreak in South Australia has meant that um, uh, because we've just recently come back from there, uh, we've got our fourteen day quarantine. So all the players have been COVID tested uh, yesterday, and uh, we've got home quarantine. So we're going to do to fill up these two weeks. Uh, from my point of view, I'm okay with it. Uh, we've been away for five, nearly six weeks. So two weeks at home uh, is not a bad thing. And uh, there's always things that you can do to fill them up. So uh, we'll, we'll try and get some training exemptions for next week. But uh, for me personally, two weeks at home, uh, I'm actually not I'm not too unhappy about that. Yeah, you guys are pretty full-on summer. So uh, whenever you get to spend some time at home, I'm sure you guys would appreciate it. Before we get into the formal questions and stuff, during our chat, I'm going to ask you three trivia questions about your career. Uh, Let's start with one now. It's more of a bit of clarification. Do you pronounce your surname Voges or Vogues like Michael Clark always used to? Uh, There's no you in my name, so it's Voges, not Vogues. I always thought that was weird. He always used to call you Vogues. Was it a joke or was he just didn't know? I'm not sure. We, uh, I think we went, we went to the Cricket Academy. We, no, sorry, we toured England in 1999 and we went to the Cricket Academy in 2000. So we've known each other a long time. So we've known you for 20 years and called you the wrong surname. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Well, Elm got him. Leading edge, he's got him. And he struck just when Voges was staying to look better. Looks like that definitely come back in the air. Adam Vogues can't believe it. Okay, so uh, you left the Shield Hub with the WA team. Uh, one win, three draws, third on the ladder. Can you sum up how you thought those uh, first block of Shield games went? I was really pleased with the way that we played. Uh, I thought, uh, obviously, the conditions pr- p- favoured the batters, uh, no doubt. But I was really pleased with the way our batting unit went about. I think we scored 10 hundreds over the four games. and. Uh, probably the pleasing bit was that every time we were challenged, uh, we responded really well. There was a game against Tasmania, we were five for 60 and Sean Marsh came out, made a magnificent 100, got us up to 300, which ended up being a competitive first innings total. Um, but there were little moments throughout all four of the games where we, we got challenged by the opposition and I was really pleased the way that our batting group stood up to that. Um, uh, started by Cameron Bancroft, Sam Whiteman at the top of the order, who both played really nicely. Cameron Green, obviously Sean played really nicely as well. 
Ashtonega um, got the opportunity batting at six and, and, and played really nicely, particularly in the first game. And Josh Inglis got a couple of hundreds, his first two uh, Sheffield Shield hundreds. So from a batting point of view, I was really pleased. And, and I actually thought our bowlers toiled really well. Um, the conditions were, were tough, as everyone found. And uh, led by Cameron Gannon and, and Matt Kelly in particular, I thought they did a, a terrific job. Uh, we unearthed a... A new one in, in Lance Morris who bowled with some genuine pace and, and Ash Agar did a good job for the three games that he played as well. So uh, probably didn't quite get the reward for our efforts. But, um, yeah, to, to take one win and, and to be really competitive in the other three games in the draws uh, was really pleasing. Just on the bowlers, what was their feedback about the ball? You know, you guys can't shine it with saliva and, and sweat. Did they find it difficult this season given they couldn't do that to the ball? Oh, no doubt. And I think it was a combination of all those factors, the, the wickets themselves, uh, the kookaburra ball that didn't swing for long periods of time. And then, you, I guess, inability to, to really shine the ball as you normally would. Um, I think that all added up to, to make things pretty tough for the bowling group. But uh, again, they, they worked really hard. In, in these conditions, I think you have to become quite inventive in the way that you set your fields and the way that you bowl to try and uh, induce the batters to make mistakes. So we were trying things all the time. Some worked, some didn't. But um, yeah, I think that's continual evolution of our bowling group is to continue to try and find ways to take wickets in those conditions. How about the captain, Sean Marsh? 300s, a 50. What do you average, like 200 or something ridiculous? I'd say if he was 10 years younger, he'd been to test team and he just keeps reducing all these runs. Yeah, he batted beautifully. I guess at, I think, 37, 38 years of age, I think the most pleasing thing about Sean is he's still got the hunger to to do it in the tough conditions as well. Um, like I said, that, that 100 against Tasmania when we were up against it uh, was, was one of the better ones that I've seen him play and... Um, yeah, his ability to adapt to the conditions and the situation of the game uh, is is unparalleled, I think. And uh, I think that comes with experience. I think uh, the weight of expectation around international selection is gone, certainly in his mind. And I think that's freed him up to just allow him to bat, play cricket, lead us really well. And, and we're seeing some great results. He doesn't average 200. He averages 97, which is still very impressive. Josh Inglis, though, 118. And Sam Whiteman, 55 at the top of the order. He must have been impressed with those guys. I mean, particularly Whiteman, who has had a bit of trouble with injury throughout his career, but now he's an opening batter, doesn't have the gloves. Inglis has got those. Um, he talk us about those two guys and, geez, they can't be too far away from some higher honours down the track. Yeah, I'm really pleased for both of them. And I think it was... Great reward for, for the work that they've both done during the pre-season. Uh, Sam finished the season really well last year, got 100 against Queensland in the last Shield game. And I guess his transformation from a uh, wicketkeeper five, six years ago to now as one of our most important players at the top of the order with the bat um, is, a, is a credit to him and the work that he's done. Um, and I certainly think with um, his name was certainly mentioned in terms of Australian A selection. He missed out, but I think at least that if he's been spoken about, then he's, he's doing the right things. And I talk about our opening partnership uh, at the top of the order and, and the way that Sam and, and Cameron uh, gel at the top is really important for us. They, they put on 200 260, I think, in, in the second innings against Tasmania. They got 100 in the first innings against South Australia and have set the platform up in a number of times for us. So, yeah, really pleased with the way that, that Sam's been going about it. And, yeah, it was a real breakout period for Josh. Uh, we've we've known that he's been really talented. We saw a bit of that in the Big Bash last year with the white ball cricket. But for him to take that next step with four-day cricket and um, to get his maiden shield 100 and then his second one against Victoria – 
think he plays spin particularly well um, and so really thrived in those conditions. His, his keeping work's really tidy, um, got opportunity in Australia A last year. So he'll keep pushing his case and uh, hopefully if they can continue to perform well, they'll, they'll help us win some games for WA. I was going to say on Inglis's keeping, uh, you know, wicket keepers now, thanks to Adam Gilchrist, have to score lots of runs and, and hundreds. But what do you make of his glove work? And where do you reckon he sort of sits in the, the best clubman in the country? Tim Payne would probably be number one, but uh, is he right up there with, with Tim? Yeah, I think he, um, I probably defer these, particularly with keeping. I used to stand next to them at first slip and if <laughs> as long as they didn't drop them, I was pretty happy with their work. But uh, no, I think better judges than myself uh, have said that Josh's keeping work and his glove work in particular is 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 good. Um, I guess I, I liken a wicketkeeper to a goalkeeper in soccer that um, if you don't notice them, they're probably doing a really good job. So, um, and and. You don't notice Josh a lot behind the stumps. Um, he does everything well. Um, he's keeping work up to the stumps for spin and for medium pace is, is really good. Um, so, yeah, he, it's something that he works incredibly hard at. And, um, yeah, look, it's there's strong competition, obviously, for, for national honours and the, and the current test captain is a wicketkeeper. So he might have to wait a little while, but um, if he keeps performing strongly, then I'm sure opportunity will come at some point. And what's his chat like behind the stumps? Has he got that niggle like all good keepers have? He does. He's he's <laughs> got a little bit of uh, what's the word? He's got a little bit of grit behind the stumps. So, um, and that's really important for a wicket keeper. I think I think they're the energy of the fielding group, um, and they set the tone in that sense. So, no, he um, he's got plenty of that. Okay, the one player we haven't talked about, and his name is on everybody's lips, Cameron Green. Uh, how do you reckon he went? He had so much hype around him coming into this summer after what he did last year, but it looks like he's taken his game to another level. Yeah, he played beautifully again. I think the way that uh, Cameron's gone about the last 18 months, uh, particularly with the bat, has just been phenomenal for a 21-year-old to think back to this time last year, he was batting eight in our Shield team and, and pro- primarily being picked as a bowler, um, scored a, a hundred in a game match match saving 100 up at the Gabba against Queensland and just hasn't looked back since then. So there's been a, little, a lot of hype, a lot of expectation around him this year and I think he's handled that uh, really well and, and I think that'll bode well for um, the international career that hopefully we all think that he'll be able to have and it's a deserved selection, particularly his test selection. I think he's um, he's banged the door down in terms of the runs that he scored and really pleasing to see him uh, with the ball in hand for, for the last two games for our Shield, um, for that Shield hub. And um, it's obviously really exciting to see what he can produce as an all-round package. And um, hopefully we get to see him in Australian colours at some point this summer. How tempting has it been to just let him off the leash with his bowling and how hard has it been to, to rein him back and make sure he doesn't go out there and, and uh, hurt himself again just trying too hard? Yeah, there's a, there's a balancing act there. There's no doubt. I guess first and foremost, uh, he's a 21-year-old with um, multiple back stress fractures and we need to remember that and I'll continue to preach caution. Um, he's still he's still growing. He's six foot seven, but he's still growing and... Um, there's going to be a period of time where we need to be patient, particularly with the ball in hand. And, and that's really hard when you see him bowl because it's so exciting when he when he does get it in hand. And um, he's got some technical changes that he's still working through and, and he needs to be able to hold them consistently before we try and up the amount of bowling that he does. But I think he's in really good hands. And um, 
yeah, look, it, it may take a little while. It may take 12 months. It may take a couple of years before he gets up to that real true all-rounder status that we hope he can fill. But I just hope we are patient with him in the meantime and uh, he'll score plenty of runs as well. You'd have to think, though, if he's in a test team with Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins, Lyon, he probably wouldn't need to bowl that many overs, would he? I mean, those guys will want the ball in their hands the whole time. He might just have to do the, the graveyard shift between 70 and 80 overs. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and and that's fine. You got to you got to start somewhere. But um, yeah, look, I, I've got no doubt that um, if we manage Cameron really well over the next period of time, then he could he could be an Australian cricketer for for ten years plus if um, if we get this right. We know what he can do on the field, but what's he like as a person off the field? Uh, he's he's pretty quiet. Um, he's he's one of these blokes who just seems to be good at everything that he does. We we had a table tennis table in the in the hub over in Adelaide, and uh, he was one of the better players with that, no doubt. Um, so no, he's he's got a good head on his shoulders. Um, Punctuality is probably not his strong suit, and we we continue to work with that. I'll work with him on that. But um, outside of that, um, no, he's a good kid, and uh, obviously a very good cricketer as well. Can you tell us about his first Shield game and your role in him debuting? Yeah, that's that's a really good story. I uh, I hadn't actually seen him bowl prior to that Shield game, and um, we'd flown down to Hobart, and I, I made sure that I faced him in the nets the the day before the game, and. Um, after walking out of that net, I walked straight over to JL and said, we're picking him, he's playing tomorrow. And uh, JL had a few reservations at the time about it, uh, just knowing that he couldn't bowl March and he thought we should play a spinner down in Hobart. But I was absolutely convinced that um, we should we should unleash the, he was then 17-year-old uh, on Tasmania. And I'll never forget the first ovary ball to George Bailey, who played and missed it five out of the six balls, turned around at the end of that over and... and said yep this bloke this kid can bowl and uh he went on to take five in the first innings i think he took six or seven for the game we won the game comfortably and uh jail took all the credit for picking him as a 17 year old so um <laughs> as he said at the time uh listen to all your options but take the credit when uh, when the decision comes off so um the rest is history i guess JL, classic. Um, and while you guys are quarantining, he, he's got outright. He's on his way to Sydney or he might even be here by this time this podcast come out. So that's uh, good for Cameron and the Australian team. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, he's Cameron's flown out today to Sydney. So obviously with the quarantine restrictions that we've got here, it was better to get him out and, and get him into Sydney and training in the lead up to uh, the Indian series. So uh, yeah, I think he got all of one or two nights in his own bed and then he's at it again. But uh, I think as as cricketers and um, and coaches and administrators, we, we need to continue to do what we need to to get the season going. And um, I'm sure it wasn't too hard for him to jump back on a plane and get ready to join into his first uh, international series. Uh, the other name on everyone's lips this summer is Will Pukowski. Uh You were up close with him last winter in the Australia Raid team and you would have seen him bat for a couple of days as WA coach. Um, what did you make with him up close in uh, in that UK, that Aussie A tour? Yeah, I got to work a little bit uh, with Will over there and I was really impressed with the way that he went about it. He'd already scored a double hundred against us at the Wacker uh, previous to that. So I've watched him bat a lot actually. But um, I was just really impressed with um, 
I guess the simpleness of his game plan. He was he was really clear in the way that he wanted to score his runs. He had a, a really solid defence and um, waited for the ball to come into his area and was prepared to do it all day. So I think for a young player to have those attributes so early in your career, I think um, holds him in really good stead. And um, and we clearly haven't learnt because he did it again to us uh, at, at Karen Rolton Oval the other day. So uh, look, he's got a really bright future. Um, I think it's a really good selection to pick him in the test squad and um, whether or not he gets an opportunity at some point, he's in he's in great form. And um, yeah, like I said, I, I was really impressed with the way that he's gone about it and what I've seen. What would you do if you were Jay on the selectors? Would you blood the young fella or would you stick with Joe Burns, the incumbent? Yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? Um, I think I've always believed that it's hard to change a winning team and, and the Australian test team was incredibly successful last summer. So um, that being said, if someone's smashing the door down, it's it's very hard to ignore as well. So um, I'm sitting squarely on the fence there, I know. But um, oh, look, I, I guess listening to the way JL and, and Tim Payne have spoken that you think Burns probably gets first opportunity, but... Um, he'll obviously need to try and make some runs if he does get that first crack. I'll tell you what, whoever gets picked is going to have a tough time facing Jasper Bormro with the pink ball under lights at the Adelaide Oval. So good luck to either of them, I suppose. Yep, very true. Very true. <laughs> that gives us uh, an opportunity to give you another trivia question. I'm going to get you to give us the bigger number here, Adam. Uh, test hundreds you scored or test sixes you hit? Uh, sixes. Uh, you scored five test hundreds and yeah. hit five test sixes. Oh, there you go. <laughs> How many did you hit in that 269 not out down there in Hobart? Uh, none, I don't reckon. <laughs> uh, I, I hit a couple in New Zealand um, and I remember hitting one in the West Indies, uh, but I thought I hit enough in New Zealand to get that over the line, but obviously not. Well, there you go. I think um, Chris Rogers only hit one in his test career, so you got that over Bucky. Yeah, that's all right. Bucky, I don't think Bucky hit more than one in his whole career, let alone test career. <laughs> um, back on the WA front, can you give us an update on Mitch Marsh? He's been included in the Australia A squad, but pending fitness. So where's Mitch at at the moment? Yeah, been in regular contact with Mitch. Obviously, it's uh, been a bit of a slow process in, in terms of his uh, um, recovery from that ankle injury. Um, but he's progressing nicely. He, he actually had his first hit today. Uh, so that's promising signs. Uh, I think he'd like to be a little bit more advanced than what he is at the moment. But um, with this injury, it'll it'll take its time, and he literally has to walk before he can run, and um, and he's only just getting to that place now. So uh, Mitch, being who he is, will be doing everything in his power to to make sure that he's ready for that uh, A series, and uh, hopefully he gets up to that. Um, and we'll certainly try and help him once we get out of quarantine to, to get him ready for that. If not, um, we'll hopefully get him for the scorches at some point during the Big Bash. But um, certainly hopeful that he'll be up and about for that A-series. You'd have to think probably just as a batter, right? I think so at this stage. Um, yeah, we'll get him right as a batter. Uh, and then we'll, we'll continue to build that bowling um, throughout the summer. And on the bowling front, how about Jai Richardson? Yeah, Jai's going really well. Uh, we've got both Jai and, and Jason Berendorf here in Perth uh, preparing for the Big Bash and uh, both playing Premier Cricket at the moment and uh, returning from their respective injuries. So that's that's really exciting. Uh, they've, they've been doing some good work here in Perth and I would say both of them are 
somewhere between 80 and 90% fully uh, towards full fitness at the moment. And uh, they're building really nicely. So they've still got a, a month or so before our first Big Bash game. And they're both looking likely to be to be right for that. So uh, that's exciting, um, particularly for Jason, I guess, who's been out of the game for a period of time following that, that major back surgery that he's had. But also Jai with his recovery from that shoulder surgery. So exciting for both of them and uh, looking forward to having them both available for the Big Bash. Everyone talks about, you know, Stark, Cummins, Hayes or James Pattinson, these guys, but John Richardson was in that test team, what, two summers ago. So one day he's fully fit. This Australian fast bowling battery is going to be look, looking pretty impressive. Yeah, it'd be a nice problem to have when you've got everyone up and going. So, yeah, that's right. And and performed really well in the, the couple of opportunities that he's had so far in Australian colours and um, thought he bowled really well for us last year in the Scorchers prior to um, going in for that shoulder surgery in the in the off-season. So, uh, yeah, look, he's really excited to get back into it as well. We know how skillful that he is um, once he's up and going and fully fit. So hopefully we'll, we'll get him there uh, sooner rather than later. Let's talk a little bit about the Big Bash. The Scorchers look like they've got a lot of firepower this summer, Adam, with Roy, Munro, Livingston. You've always had a really strong bowling attack. How are the Scorchers shaping up? We wanted to bolster our batting uh, after after the last couple of seasons. And, uh, yeah, we we obviously were, were really keen to get Liam Livingston back after his performances last year. We thought he um, performed really well and, and formed a great opening combination with with Josh Inglis at the top of the order. And um, yeah, So getting Liv back was a really easy decision. And then um, I guess with COVID and, and, and the way that the recruiting and, and uh, list management's gone this year, it was... It was difficult to know who was going to be available at the time and we, we had to try and, I guess, make some assumptions. But, yeah, it was really nice to get uh, Jason Roy um, to become involved uh, with us. I think he's a, he's a wonderful uh, white ball cricketer. He's a wonderful cricketer full stop and he'll provide us not only the firepower at the top of the order but some experience as well, uh, which will be really important. And then obviously to get a third overseas player and to get someone of the calibre of Colin Munro who will be available for the whole tournament um, is really exciting as well. So you put those three in the mix with Inglis, with a potential Mitch Marsh, with Ashton Turner and Ashton Agar. Um, hopefully it'll be a fairly formidable top seven. Um, and then with with Richardson, with AJ Ty, with Jason Berendorf, Farwad Ahmed, then uh, hopefully it's the makings of a pretty good team. But uh, I think most Big Bash teams will be pretty good this year and it should be an exciting competition. With Roy, is he going to be available from the start, given there's that South Africa to uh, uh, for the English guys? Yeah, so both Jason and, and Liv will miss the first, our first three or four games, yeah. uh, depending on quarantine periods and uh, when they do become available. So um, we've, we've signed Joe Clark as a replacement player uh, who, who had a really good um, vitality blast for, for Nottingham last season and um, looks a really exciting player. So we'll, we'll welcome him for our first uh, part of the campaign and then yeah, obviously uh, we'll be excited when we get uh, Jason and, and Liam available as well. It's going to be a different looking Big Bash this summer for lots of different reasons. One of them being the new rules that have just been announced this week. Uh, we've got uh, the power surge. Uh, what else we got here? The the X Factor and the Bash Boost. Let's just go through them <laughs> quickly. The power surge. Uh, so the, the power play is now four overs and then batting teams can uh, nominate two overs past the 11th over. Um, interesting to see how that goes. I wonder if teams will 
save that for the last survivors or call early. How do you see this one happening? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Um, I guess going from past history, particularly in 50 over cricket, the the batting power play sometimes became a bit of a double-edged sword. Uh, You often, you had the opportunity obviously to up the run rate, but uh, wickets often fell as well. So um, when teams take it, uh, will be really interesting. Uh, you'd like to have some momentum, obviously, going into it. Some teams may wait till the 19th and 20th over um, to, to take that, that power play. But, um, yeah, look, it's going to be a tough work for bowlers if you've got two batters going and you have to bring all the field up. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Equally, I think it'll provide opportunity to hopefully take some wickets with the, the risks that the batters take as well. So um, certainly one for the batters more so than the bowlers, but um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. But uh, I think most teams will wait till they've got a bit of momentum. And uh, if they've got two players going, then uh, they'll, they'll likely call it. And uh, I think they'll make life pretty difficult for the bowling team. The X factor. Now that is when uh, teams nominate 13 players, you've got your starting 11. Uh, and then inside the first 10 overs, you can sub out a player who hasn't batted or only bowled one over. Did you play in the super sub era? Well, it would have been 15 years ago and they, they shelved it pretty quickly. I think Australia and South Africa decided not to play with that rule once uh, one series. They said, that's it, we're not doing it anymore. Um, how can you see this one unfolding? Yeah, I'm not sure about this one. Um, I guess from my point of view, we, we generally pick a fairly balanced team anyway. Uh, and outside of injury or, or completely misreading conditions, I don't imagine that it'll be something that we use too often. I guess we go in with an open mind. Um, it's something that hasn't been trialled yet. So uh, we, we will be feeling our way and experimenting like every other team will be as well. But um, I'd like to think that we pick a team that's balanced enough to handle most conditions. Uh and most situations in the game. So uh, wait and see. I'll pro- Who knows? Now that I've said that, we'll probably make a, a sub in the first game. But, um, yeah, look, we'll just wait and see how that plays out. But I'd like to think that the 11 that we start with will more often than not be the 11 that we finish with. Tell you, it must be tough. I think Darren, Lee, Darren Lehman said this the other day that uh, you've picked your 11 and then less than a quarter of the way through the game, you go, sorry, mate, we've made the wrong call, you're out. Uh, I can't imagine that'd be easy for the coaches. No, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, and again, um, yeah, if you, pick a, if you pick a well-balanced team that can handle most conditions, uh, hopefully it's not required too often um, outside of potential injury, but um, we'll wait and see. It is better than that old super sub rule because you could only have one player available. So if you win the toss and you back your team with full of batters and then you lose it or you lose a toss and you're on the wrong side of batting or bowling first and you're stuffed with the other team's advantage. This way you've got two to choose from. So it should be a little bit more even. Yeah. And again, time will tell. Um, some teams may use it quite frequently. Others may not use it at all, but we'll just wait and see. And the last one's the bash boost uh, where... Uh, uh, whoever's leading after the, the 10 overs in the second innings gets a point. So there's going to be four points on offer for each game now. Four if you win outright and are leading it halfway through. And if you um, win and lose at halfway uh, in the second innings, you get a point. Uh, I think that's to, to stop those teams who are way out of it early on. Uh, they can still try and get that one point in that second innings. Um, not sure how this one's going to go, uh, but it could make those, um, those second innings exciting particularly around that eight nine ten over mark when teams are trying to get above their opposition and get that extra point so i have to see how this one plays out too i guess yeah uh i don't mind this one i think um there's incentive there to 
um, play really attacking cricket right from the start, which I which I certainly hope that that's how we're going to line up and how we're going to play our cricket. So um, it may suit the way that we go about our T20 cricket. So, um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see how this one plays out. I, I don't think it will just be about trying to get the point if you think you're out of the game. I, I think there will be genuine uh, consideration to be trying to get the point every game. And, uh, and then that being a way of building into your innings to try and either – make a match-winning total or, or chase one down. So, um, yeah, look, that'll be an interesting one. Out of the three, this is probably the one that I like the most. Um, but, again, we'll, we'll uh, go in with open eyes and open minds and see how we go. I wonder why they didn't – maybe they did consider it, use the old 50-over uh, bonus point rule. You know, if you're in the 50-over version, if um, you chase a target down in less than 40 overs or you restrict the team to uh, what a quarter less than their score, you get a bonus point, maybe – 20 overs is too short a time period to do that in. But I always thought that seemed to work pretty well. This way, there's going to be so many different points getting handed out through the, through the season. Now, it'll be tough to track who's on top of the ladder. Yeah, and that's just that's probably a little bit of my concern as well. Uh, I think Big Bash and T20 cricket is how we introduce people to cricket and um, trying to simplify it rather than make it more complicated um, would, would be my preference. Uh, but having said that, I think once we get into the season, once people start to understand the rules um, and the point systems and, and how they go about it, then hopefully it's not too complicated and uh, the rule makers and the broadcasters get the product that they want. How about, I'm just going back to a bit more domestic cricket here, um, do you know what's going on with the next round of Shield matches? I think they were set to be announced pretty soon, but this South Australian situation might have thrown things out. Are you guys expecting to play most of those games in the back end of of next well start of next year next uh start of next year back of this summer and for a long time into the year february yep um <laughs> we got there yeah we got there <laughs> uh yeah we're certainly hopeful we're certainly hopeful that it'll get back more to a traditional home and away fixture uh uh obviously that's dependent on um state borders opening um and our ability to move around the country but yeah i certainly for for cricket fans and our members over here in in wa it'd certainly be nice to get some cricket in perth um we're, we're a bit cricket starved over here at the moment so any cricket that we can get uh, albeit domestic uh big bash cricket or even potentially international cricket uh we'd certainly welcome that but yeah, hopefully, um, certainly post Big Bash that um, there is a home and away component to the back end of the Shield season and we can play some games here at the Wacker. Let's finish with the third trivia question. Uh, who dismissed you in your ODI debut against New Zealand in 2007? I didn't get out. Correct. Nobody. 16 not out. Alongside Matthew Hayden, he got 181 not out. Yeah, he was smacking him. I think he had a runner by the end of it, but um, I think he had a, a busted toe. But, um, yeah, that was... That was an amazing game of cricket. I think we got 330 or 340 and New Zealand chased them down. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a very memorable game. I'm not going to knock Matthew Hayden, who's obviously a great of Australian cricket and produced one of the great innings. But 181 of 166 balls, these days if you're facing 166 balls, you're getting a 300. Hayden's batting too <laughs> slow. Oh, when was that? 2007. It's a little while ago. Yeah, yeah. It was rapid for the time, no doubt. Yeah, and uh, I'll finish with, um, did you score, give me the bigger number, your, your, your score, 16 or runs you conceded in your three overs? <laughs> uh, I went for about 50 off my three overs, I reckon. So, <laughs> nah. just, a, um, just a 33. Just a 33. Just a 33. Brendan McCallum kept smacking me back over my head, I reckon. So, um, yeah, 
okay with the bat, not great with the ball. But, um, yeah, great great memories and um, very entertaining game of cricket. Fantastic. Well, mate, thanks again for coming on the Unplayable Podcast and all the best this summer. Thanks, Sam. Good on you, mate. That's it for this week's episode of the Unplayable Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next week from inside the Australian ODI bubble. So until then, for all your breaking news, live scores and video highlights, head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live app. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.